I want to remind you that a few months ago, we rolled out Thrive, our plan for the next three years for vitality and growth. Remember what it stands for, tapping heaven's resources to ignite vital expansion? Remember that? And it's got three main thrusts, and one of those is the idea of reaching out to people. We have been talking about that now for two weeks today, and we're going to keep talking about what that means. We also started talking about reaching one person. Who is your one person? Starting today, we're going to get a reminder of that up in front of us. If you go through the building, down the hallway, outside of the offices, you're going to find up there a big space that says one person with paper, blank paper on the wall, and a smiling attendant there at a little table, and some Sharpie markers. This is not to test your graffiti skills. This is to stop by and write the name of that one person person in your life that you're going to be praying for, that you're going to share your faith with. It's going to be a tangible reminder to us that all of us are supposed to have a name up there. Do the math on that. Let's say 200 people today put a name up there on the wall, and in the next year or so, most of those people are going to hear about Jesus Christ, and a bunch of those people are going to accept Christ. What happens a year from then? if everybody else does the same thing. That'd be great, wouldn't it? One person. So who is your one person? Who is that one person in your sphere of influence that you will pray for regularly who's not yet a believer in Jesus that you are going to somehow share your faith with? A bunch of you have already had that name in mind and in your prayers, hopefully. You're watching for moments that you're going to get to share your faith. That's great. It's time now for action. You know, fish or cut bait, sink or swim, bite the bullet, get out of the state of weight. Starting today, we're going to put some pencil lead to the paper, some pigment to the parchment, some script to the scrap. Don't make me go on. We're going to move out of the theoretical into the practical, and before you leave the building today, that means walk down that hallway Put up the name of your one person, okay? Everybody on board with that? Any questions? Good, all right. I've got a question this morning, audience participation time. Here's a word, souvenir. Can somebody tell me the, the origin, what language that word comes from? Tanya Carretti, what word, that word souvenir, what language do you suppose it comes from? Close, sort of, French. It's from a French word. I don't speak French. They won't let me speak French. But this is from a French word that all of us have probably used, that word souvenir. It's from a word that means to remember. You know, it's an object that somebody who's out traveling picks up at the gift shop afterwards and they bring it home to help them remember the experience from where they have been. I was going through my office and looking at some of the stuff I've got there. I think it's mostly there to keep kids busy when they're in the office visiting with their folks. Like I've got a rock uh, that was found in the ground when they were digging the foundation for a house that we had built. And it's actually a fossil. It, it looked neat and I thought, well, this is a neat reminder of that house being built. Uh, I've got a Mickey Mouse clock from Disney World. Don't know if I'm going to hang on to that one anymore. 
I've got some currency from India. I have a, a finely painted egg from a friend who was from Romania. I've got a mug from Lambert's, one of my favorite places in the world to eat. All of them souvenirs and pictures I've got. Things that help remember, help me remember important events so that I won't forget. You've got those in your place, right? In your life, stuck to the refrigerator of your life. You've got souvenirs. I like to go places that I've never been. I like to learn about events and people and things that have happened in our country and other places. Sometimes we'll even go back to a place and we'll, we'll visit it again to try to learn some more things that we didn't notice before. I'm interested in seeing places where significant people lived, where important events took place. And I want to tell you that I have a real interest also in scenes, in places where people go from being lost hopelessly for being forever changed and on their way to heaven. I've got a real interest in whatever it is that makes the difference in people's lives, that moves them from one place to the other. Enough of an interest that I want to visit a place like that. And when I do, I'd like to be able to take something with me to help me remember. So I want to offer you from the gift shop of God's Word this morning some souvenirs. Some things that you can take with you so that when you leave here this morning, you, you've got something you could go ahead and take with you the used little cup from the Lord's Supper as a souvenir from Central Christian Church. I think we can do better than that. Maybe we could have some t-shirts made that say, I went to Central Christian Church and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Probably not. You know what, this morning, just on the side, this isn't even in my notes, um, Whenever people come to be baptized, to become a believer in Christ, you know what they take home with them that day? The same t-shirt that they were wearing, a wet t-shirt then that says, forgiven. What a great souvenir. Well, here are some souvenirs. I'm going to go with this idea that there's something actually useful that will help us remember where we were, and it's in John chapter 4. We're going to walk through John chapter 4 this morning, and to do that, you're going to need, well, John chapter 4. That's in the Bible, New Testament, and if you look in the book of John, there is this story of something that happened, and I'd like us to walk through this story and pick up some things that we can leave with that will help us remember that place where someone's life was transformed and what it took to get there. So once we look into this, there's plenty that we're going to take with us that we can leave with this morning. I'm starting in verse 1, John chapter 4. Let's look at it. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, 
ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Look around at what we just walked through, and right over there by the Visit Sychar postcard rack, the Jacob's Well refrigerator magnets, and the History of the Samaritans documentary DVDs, there is something that you can take with you this morning. And it all centers around this, Jesus' heart for lost people. If there's something that we could walk out of here with today, that would be the thing that I would put into everybody's hands. The one thing that I would ask for this church family and myself, the one passion that I think that we need as a group more than anything else is this. Go ahead and forget everything else this morning if you must, but please don't miss this. Let's walk out of those doors this morning with a heart like Jesus' heart for lost people. Look at Jesus' heart for the lost. Look what it looks like. First of all, he's tired, but he's doing the Father's business. Jesus is taking a break. It's been a long walk. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. The disciples have run into Sychar to find a fast food place and get falafel burgers or something. And so Jesus, verse 6, wearied as he was from his journey sits down for a break. Sometimes being our best for the Father means taking a break to refresh ourselves. Remember that. Seems to me, in fact, there are more homes that are destroyed by overwork than underwork. And yet, I noticed this about Jesus, that even in the middle of a very much needed break, Jesus doesn't take a break from caring about people. I don't know what you do to take a break. Maybe you go somewhere. Maybe you drive to Door County with a group. Maybe you engage in something relaxing. Maybe you've got a hobby or something. Maybe you enjoy sports or exercise. Maybe it's summertime. Maybe you're thinking about vacation right now, and vacation means going someplace. But vacation doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from our heart for the lost. There are some things that we ought to put aside, but then there are some things that we put aside but not pick up, and that is different from taking a break from people. We need to keep our eyes open for opportunities all along the way this summer, and I want to encourage you to do that no matter where you find yourself or what you find yourself doing. No matter where you go, where you end up, there will be people around who need to hear about Jesus even when you're tired and need a break. Though he was tired, Jesus was doing the Father's business. That's his heart for lost people. Do you see it there? 
What a great thing to walk out with this morning. Here's a second one. He was unhindered by social barriers. 750 years before this time, the nation of Assyria overran the ten northern tribes of Israel. They deported them, and they moved other people into the land of Israel. So people from those nations intermingled with the Jews, and they formed a kind of half-Jewish, half-pagan group of people known as, here's the word, Samaritans. Spit twice if you're a Jew and you say the word. Because there was this ongoing hostility between those two races. Among other things, a Jew would never, ever share a drinking vessel with a Samaritan. Kind of like kids worrying about getting cooties. Only the Jews and the Samaritans were a whole lot more mature, a whole lot more adult about it. They officially hated each other. Well, Jesus isn't phased by that. His heart for the lost looked at this woman and he didn't see a hated foreigner. He saw an impoverished soul. Does it matter that she was part of a hated race? Does it matter that she was a woman and that socially it was not acceptable for him to speak to her that day? Does it matter that she herself was probably an outcast in her own society? She was lost. She was searching. And that's what mattered. Jesus reached out and touched a leper. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Jesus went into the home of a tax collector. Jesus accepted worship from a woman who had a bad reputation. Jesus is unhindered by social barriers. How are we doing at that? We need to take some serious inventory of where we're at. How often is it that we look at somebody and we look at the outside and we formulate an opinion about them and a plan of action about them without considering that inside of that is a soul that Jesus died for. How often do we let a person's color or social status or education, you name it, keep us from caring about the soul that's in there? We should have Jesus' heart for the lost. Amen? Jesus was unhindered by those things. That's part of his love. Here's something else that we can see in his love, and that is that he loved enough to speak the truth. Verse 16, let's keep reading here uh, again in chapter 4. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. <laughs> Awkward. Jesus said some fairly uncomfortable things to this woman. Have you noticed how some people thrive on that? Some people thrive on uncomfortable. Early in the 1970s, boy, I had to dig this one up, but it was great. You can find it on YouTube. There was this commercial of a guy jumping onto an elevator. It was for the Hanes underwear line. And, you know, people on an elevator, what do you usually do on an elevator? This guy gets on the elevator, and he just kind of looks around at everybody, and he goes, you know what? I feel good all under. You know why? I'm wearing my Hanes underwear. And then he starts talking about the non-binding collar and the non-scratchy waistband and things like that, and the people around him are kind of looking around, shifting. And when the elevator doors open up, they all go, getting out of there. TMI, right? Too much information. I don't thrive on that kind of thing. We're taught at a young age, hopefully, that you don't do things like that, do you? 
You don't embarrass the people around you. You don't say certain things to strangers. You don't talk about certain subjects. You set boundaries. You use filters, hopefully. Well, today, we're taught at a young age one thing that you don't do. One thing you don't do is ever talk about Jesus Christ on a personal level with the people around you. We get taught that, don't we? Whether that's at school or at work or out in public, we might make someone feel uncomfortable. They might think that you're suggesting that there's something wrong with them, so you stop and you don't do it. You know, it's strange. On a daily basis, there are, I'm finding, a lot of opinions getting shared with me that hits my eyes and ears and it makes me very uncomfortable. Why isn't that a problem? I'm pretty sure no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work at it, you're going to say something that bothers somebody, aren't you? See, might as well say something of substance. Might as well say something that's worth hearing. There are times when speaking what someone needs to hear is going to be really, really uncomfortable. Here's an example of Jesus doing it in John chapter 4. He made this woman pretty uncomfortable to a point where she kind of tries to change the subject, but he keeps at it because he knew what she needed to hear. You see, a true heart for lost people is going to take us past this Fear of embarrassment or fear of rejection. Remember in our student ministry a few years ago, they were talking about having uncomfortable conversations with people. I want to care enough about people's souls that I'm not worried about hecklers or weird looks. Do you? Do you love enough to speak the truth? That's one of the souvenirs of Jesus' love that we can walk out the door with today. Here's another one. It encourages others to look at the possibilities for people to be saved. Going down to verse 28 of this chapter, and we're going to keep reading there. So the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, or do you not say, there are yet Four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." I noticed driving around over the past couple of weeks, it's wheat harvest time. Have you noticed that? Some of the fields here around our area. All around, everything else is a really rich green, especially with the rain that we had. But those wheat fields all turned a real pale golden color. One might even say they were white for harvest. 
Time to get it harvested, in fact, before it's too late. They've got to get that cutting out. Jesus looked up. He saw the people streaming out of Sychar coming to hear from him. And he says, look, it's harvest time. Someone with a heart for lost people is careful to urge the others around him to join him in the harvest. There's too much work for one person to get it done. Did you notice at the beginning of this chapter, who was doing the baptizing, it says? The disciples. Not Jesus himself. Twelve other guys could get more done. Some years ago, I read a story about two salesmen who were sent to an area in New Guinea. One of them got there, looked at the situation, and he wired back to his company, make arrangements for me to return home immediately. Nobody here wears shoes. The other salesman arrived there, saw the same situation, wired back to home, hurry, send more people. No one here wears shoes. We need people who will open our eyes like that. To look out and see a field of souls. People who are dying to meet Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. We can do that for each other, can't we? We can encourage each other to do that. Can I encourage you to do that? Can you encourage me to do that? Nod your heads, yes. In fact, here's a project to work on, all right? Next time that you're having a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ, especially if you're talking about someone in particular, and the conversation brings up something negative about something about people. Not that that ever happens when we're talking. But let's say you're having a conversation and it brings up something negative about another human being. All right, your job then is to respond to that with some word of encouragement about how people could really be helped if we could get them to hear the good news about Jesus. Okay? Hear what I'm saying? So if you're talking today at lunch and somebody brings up the fact that their next door neighbor is a a noisy, obnoxious, impolite, and difficult redneck, then your job is to point out how Jesus could change that person. Your job is to ask the uncomfortable question, all right, have you talked to that uncomfortable, noisy, redneck person about Jesus Christ? Can we do that for each other? We need a heart for the lost like Jesus has. Someone has suggested that our job as Christians is to break people's hearts at the sight of the broken heart of God. We need to get a fresh taste of that. You can't present yourself as the Messiah, but if you have the heart of Jesus in you, you can present, represent the heart of Jesus to people who need to see that. And I understand how it's possible to turn cynical against outsiders. After all, you've worked pretty hard to become perfect, haven't you? All right, maybe that's a little strong. But we all could probably use some reminders of how the Lord has redeemed us and how the reason that he is holding off on his return is because he's patiently waiting for us to help other people get ready, including your obnoxious, redneck, impolite neighbor. I thought of a a song that struck me years ago. It's by Twyla Paris. It's called Rescue the Prisoner. And the words of this song are a really good reminder of the attitude and the heart that we believers ought to have toward those around us 
who are lost. It's a good reminder to saved people that those people are not the enemy. In fact, they are the reason that we are still here. It's called job security. So while I was reviewing that song and I ran across a video that uses it, I thought, you know what, this would be a good video just to show this morning. So here's what I'd like you to watch here. It's from the Wyoming Rescue Mission. And basically, while you listen to the words of this song, you're also going to see people who have been rescued. They are the very people, the kind of people that I pray God will send to us, people who need to be rescued. So I want to encourage you right now to watch their short testimonies, listen to the words of this song, and let the Lord work on our hearts.
As you walk away from Jacob's well outside of Sychar in John 4, take with you this morning some reminder that Jesus changes lives. The woman at the well listened to a message that was kind of difficult from Jesus, but it wasn't long before she was bringing others along with her. In fact, First, they started believing just because of what she said. John 4, 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And then after a couple of days, those people made it clear they were believing in Jesus on their own because they listened to his message from him. Verse 41, because of his words, Many more became believers. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, when Jesus reaches into people, when they hear his message, it sets in motion an interesting progression. And if we'll be in tune with it, we'll do better at sharing with our one person the message that could save their lives, and set that chain reaction into motion. With some effort from us, with some help from God, some of those people will be saying, yes, I believe now too. What if this woman had looked at the situation and after speaking to Jesus said, oh, I doubt anybody's going to believe me. Instead, she took off. She left her water jar. She ran into town, and I think... It's time that we quit holding back our testimony because we are afraid that people won't believe. Look at some of the stuff that people do believe. A whole bunch of people aren't satisfied with where they're at, but they don't understand that they don't have to live there. And they need someone who's going to let them see there's a cure for where they're at. When you walk from here this morning, I hope you'll walk away with a heart for people that need the Savior, heart like Jesus. Most of all, I hope that someone who hasn't accepted Jesus will see that that's a walk that they can begin, that you can walk from here today with a new life, with a new hope, with a new direction from where you're headed. You see, the love of Jesus compels us to say to you, that's what you need. That's why we're not hesitating to say there are people who have this need in their life. We're not afraid to say to you this morning, there's a better way. Jesus has made the better way for you. Would you accept him today? If your answer to that is yes, then you need to know what it means to become a follower of Jesus and to make that real in your life. And so if that's you today and you're going, yeah, I think I'm ready to start this, good. It means saying goodbye to your old life. It means, as Jesus described it, taking up your cross daily and following him. It means starting all over, being reborn. It means killing the old person and a new person being raised to life. And that begins with your decision to accept Jesus and being baptized into him. We're ready for you to do that today. Those folks who were writing on cardboard what their life before Jesus was like and what their life after Jesus was like, that wasn't all just made up. That's reality in their lives. That could be so in your life today. Do you stand up with me? There is no coercion. There is no trick to this. We're not trying to deceive anybody into something. We are simply saying you can have a new life in Jesus Christ if you're ready to begin that today. So we're going to pray, and if you're ready to make a choice like that, 
I'm going to be right here at the front, and I'm asking you, come talk to me. Come forward. Be willing to step forward and say, I'm ready to begin that. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story where we're able just briefly to look into the life of a woman whose life was changed because of her encounter with Jesus, because she listened to what she needed to hear, and she made the decision to follow him. Lord, we don't even know her name, but we know that her life was changed that day. And that because of that, others listened, and they too came to hear from Jesus, and it grew from there. Lord, we're at all stages here, represented in this room this morning, some who have been following you for many years, and some who have yet to make that decision. I just pray that for each one of us, you'll work on our hearts where we're at, that you'll grow us up, and that you'll move us forward. Let your word do its work now in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.